Well, hey, uh, welcome to part two to, to Number Our Days. We are actually in lesson 16. Last week we started in Joel 3, and um, we didn't make it. And I don't actually know if we'll make it through today, so just relax if we don't. I, you know I have no time frame. I love this, and everybody's like, hey, when are you going to be done? I don't know. That's kind of the beauty of, uh, of just walking in the Spirit and not being constrained by time. Uh, I do want to honor, uh, I, have a, I have a couple good friends that are here. Uh, Mike Quest uh, has been running with Time to Revive. He invited us to do Revive Asheville. And we got connected to Mike through his mom, Ann, through, Revi- through Dallas Revival. And Mike is from Franklin, Tennessee. And ca- can I just say this? If you want to see the best notes you've ever seen, ask to see his notes and then copy them. Uh, anyway, I, M- Mike is a dear, dear buddy and friend. And man, thanks for making the trip. And uh, uh, yeah, it's an honor. Uh, we have a good friend. He came a little bit farther than Mike. Uh, he came from Bethlehem. Uh, Pastor Stephen, many of you guys have known we did Facebook during the COVID, COVID season, uh, and uh, we interacted uh, with Stephen on Facebook. So this really isn't anything abnormal for us, but now we're doing it in person. And uh, Stephen is mic'd up, uh, along with our good buddy Ray, which I, I gave Ray a new name today. That was a new one, uh, The Godfather. Um, <laughs> Uh, Ray is just sitting here, just pouring out wisdom and knowledge. And what, what to number our days really became was a group of people just say, could we, could we just know a little bit more specifically on this topic? And so I'm just, I'm grateful. I, what an, I woke up so excited and I didn't get much sleep last night. And I just woke up so excited to have friends here, family here, my wife, Laura, I, I, I feel like it's like a celebration today or something, I, but it is because when I had my Damascus Road uh, experience, when I had my call in my life, uh, it's just fun to start walking into it more. And when it's the Lord, it's the Lord. And, you know, I knew David uh, when, uh, uh, through Dallas Bible, through Upper Room, and to have David do worship, like it's just a fun team thing. And, I don't mean to leave anybody out. I just, you hear my heart here. Uh, and it's, it's an honor. And so when we talk through to number our days, it's because, you know, when all of a sudden everybody's talking about COVID, everybody's talking about vaccines, everybody's talking about, oh no, it's Biden, or oh no, it's Trump, or oh no, it's now the prime minister, you know, uh, we have a new prime minister in Israel. Everybody's got all these thoughts and these opinions, and it just kind of like creates this, wait, you didn't get the vaccine? You did? I did? You know, it's kind of like that. And so it creates this end times feel, does it not? And not that it didn't when the Apostle Paul was in the first century, but it just feels like that. And so here's how we're going to address all of it. We called it to number our days because we want you and I to make the most of it today to advance the kingdom of God. And you do that because you know what's coming. That's the reality. Moses wrote that in Psalm 90. You know what's coming, but if the church is ignorant and doesn't dig in the word of God, we're clueless. And so that's the reality and the pulse of what to number our days is. So I love it when you're like, how long are you gonna go? I, man, we're in Joel still. <laughs> I still love the best line ever. When we went through the book of Psalms, <laughs> David. Remember when we did the chart, right? We had the little calendar and David goes, so are we done? <laughs> that was awesome. And I was like, no, that's just kind of like the launching pad for everything, you know, cause we looked at it in the Old Testament, the new, anyway. I, don't, I threw you under the bus, sorry, but it, it's the beauty of who we are 
And so, uh, I don't know, Rich, I'm going to go to you for a second. And you might be like, what? What, what are you sensing today? I'm just going to ask you, what are you sensing today, Rich? Go ahead and take it. Good job. Uh, yeah, I got my helper here. Stephen came all the way from Jerusalem, and I decided to put this kid to work. But she's doing good. No, I think, I feel like today is just family having a giant Bible study, and by live streaming it, we're letting the world into it. That's good. Uh, so welcome, family. And so, Lord, would you just, as Ray has already prayed, would you just speak through this time? Open our eyes uh, to what you want us to see. And I do ask that you would remove things that we've had lodged in our brain for years that's really not of you. Just bring clarity and peace. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to jump in. Joel 3, but reality is, as Kevin knows this, you got to have to set the stage. Uh, Joel 1, you know, you, you got the whole locust plague, right? Joel 1 is a locust plague. And then remember, you have 10 groups of people, and they're, they're whining and they're mourning, and they're crying out because, I got no wine. I got no alcohol. And then the priests are like, I got no food, so how am I supposed to do this? So Joel 1 is that feel of everybody crying out. Joel 2, as we went through, right, sound the alarm. We are in a massive problem, not with the locust problem, but what's to come. So he used the locust analogy in the picture to set the stage for, yes, the end times. And so that's what he's doing in Joel 2. And in Joel 2, Ray, he, he talks about the great tribulation. Let's talk about that time frame, if you can, just a little bit. Yeah, so the tribulation is the full seven years. It's Daniel's 70th week. And then the great tribulation is the last three and a half years. And uh, what really kicks it off is the Antichrist declares himself to be God in the, in the restored temple. And we're going to unpack a big timeline of that. But remember, I don't ever want to assume people know terminology. When you say tribulation, seven years, great tribulation, last three and a half years, okay? In Joel chapter 2, there's a switch, though. The remnant within Israel begins to say, hey, look, we need to repent. So it's setting the stage for the famous verse, Joel 2, 28 through 30 on. And it just says, hey, look, the Holy Spirit is going to fall afresh. Now, remember, this is really key. It says on all man. So, yes, it happened in Pentecost, but not completely. It is the already, but what? Not yet. So, yes, the Spirit fell on some of his folks, but not completely. That's how we know it hasn't come to fruition yet. So that's Joel 2. That's, again, just your simple backdrop. Joel 3 is where we were last week. Now, in Joel 3, he begins to talk and go there with me. Joel 3, verse 1. You're going to see, I'm just going to read the first one just to set the tone. Yes, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. So he's talking about the restoration. And now watch this, okay? So he says, I'm going to bless Israel. It's coming. But then he remember in verse 2, he says, oh, by the way, I'm going to gather everybody that was against my people. That's why we talked about this whole Genesis 12. If you bless Israel, you'll be blessed. If you curse Israel, you'll be cursed. That's why we went through the United Nations even last week, right? Some of their things that they've made these ridiculous statements that are just totally not of the Lord. And they're against Israel. And he says, fine, I'm going to gather all of you that are against me. And he says, in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Okay, the valley of Jehoshaphat. Just all I want to say and emphasize, because we taught on this last week, is that there's going to be a massive gathering. There's a massive gathering, and so what he begins to set the stage is, oh, I'm going to gather everybody, and yet I'm going to reverse it. You were cursing Israel. Now it's going to come on you. Now, why and what determines those people being in that valley? 
Well, it, what determines it is, is three things. We talked about this. I want to make sure everybody's on the same page. Remember in verse 2 of Joel 3, 2, it says, if you've done crimes against the land, if you have messed with the land of Israel, oh, you've, you're going to be in the valley as well. So don't mess with the land of Israel, would, Stephen. You think you've learned that firsthand, right? <laughs> you just don't touch that. It's the Lord's land. In that, he's going to also judge you based if you show cruelty to his people. So if you mess with the land, mess with his people. And again, if you loot, it says in verse 5, don't mess with the treasures of God's temple. Three specific things that if you're a nation and you do those things against Israel, I'm putting you in the Valley of Armageddon, right? You know, it's interesting. It's kind of like Pharaoh. God already knows the heart. And, you know, it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart four times before it says that God hardened his heart. And so the same uh, sun that, you know, softens butter, hardens clay. And so it's not that God is dragging people against their will into this valley so he can slaughter them. It's a hardened heart that he uses Israel to provoke them. And so it's, it's uh, it's a gathering of those who have such an intense hatred for Israel, and he just provokes them and brings them in. You know, I want to go to Stephen here, Pastor Stephen, for a second. How do you, how have you seen hatred towards Israel just in your own life in this conversation? Uh, I grew up going to schools uh, on Bethlehem side first. You know, you're taught you have two enemies, uh, the devil and, and, and the Jewish people. In your school? That's in, what you're... In, in my school, yeah. What kept me grounded is that my father had the strong Bible teaching. What you're doing today is going in depth and that kept me grounded that uh, we only have one enemy, and that's Satan himself. So what's it like experiencing that hatred? It, it never gets anywhere. It's, it's, it's death begets death. Violence begets violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Uh, you, you can never get your own vengeance. So that you'll never get there. And the only hope is, is Jesus. The only hope is truth. Um, and it, it, it becomes a cycle. It's, you, you become your own worst enemy. And we've seen those that have come against yeah. uh, the biblical Israel have, have been destroyed or they become self-destructive. Just, this is going to sound obvious for Pastor Stephen, but for those that maybe aren't familiar with him or, you know, his father helped establish uh, First Baptist of Bethlehem, First Baptist uh, Church of Bethlehem. Can you imagine, uh, it's going to feel like a stereotype, but I think it helps people understand being an Arab, being Palestinian, being pro-Israeli, and loving Jesus. Where do you land your plane on that? Except in the truth. Amen. So I say that because, look, some of us think we have it hard in some areas, you guys. He's living and breathing what we're talking about. This is real. This is not a game that we just talk about in America. This is actually happening overseas where people want the land. They want the Israelis destroyed. All of that is real, and you can feel the tension. So why do we support Israel? Because we don't want to be on the side that walks into this valley. Now, I know we have hope in Christ, but I'm talking corporately, right, Ray? Corporately, I'm talking about as a nation. I don't want that for my people. So I want to put some reality to this, you guys. Like, this is not old times. This is real times. And so, and it's coming, by the way. 
Now, when you go into the word and it says in Joel 3, as it continues, he says, okay, I'm going to gather all the nations. So now it's kind of like if any of you have an ounce of sarcasm, hang your hat here. You're like, well, God was sarcastic, right? Here's what God says to the nations. Proclaim, he says in Joel 3, verse 9, proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for holy war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the men of war advance and attack. In other words, you get your best guys that you can and you bring them. And he says in, in verse 10, beat your plows into swords. And your pruning knives into spears, let even the weakling say, I am a warrior. You know what I love about this is? You better start getting your weapons now and bring the best of the best, and it's still not going to matter. And we know, Kevin, this one's for you, that in the millennium, for a thousand years, we know that's going to be opposite. In Micah 4, if you will go there, Kevin, Micah 4, verse 1, we will no longer need those weapons. We'll no longer need those. And he says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. Peoples will stream to it and many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we, we may walk in his paths. For, his, for instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will settle disputes among many peoples and provide arbitration for strong nations that are far away. Now watch in Micah 5, uh, 4, 3. They will beat their swords into plows. It's the opposite. There's no more fighting. They're going to bring their spears and turn it into pruning knives. Nations will not take up the sword against nation, and they will never again train for war. So in Joel 3, he says, you better get your, your silverware. You better get your plows and turn it into something. But in Micah 4, he says, no, you're not going to need it anymore because the king is there. And he says in Micah 4, 4, but each man will sit under his grapevine and under his fig tree and with no one to frighten him. <laughs> I love this image, but I'm, I'm, I'm setting this backdrop because you guys, they are preparing for an ultimate battle and you better find whatever. You take this microphone saying and you turn it into something. You take the bottom legs of your chair, and you better turn it into something because you're going to need it because I'm coming to battle against you. It's all of the nations. And I talked to this girl at this coffee shop today and I said, do you know who the nations are going to fight? She said, I have no idea. He said, did you realize they're going to fight Jesus? And I go, I don't have to do any of the fighting. But he is bringing people with him. In fact, go there with me. In Mark 8, verse 38, we talked about this a little bit last night or last week. But in Mark 8, verse 38, this is who Jesus is bringing with him into the battle. Okay, so the nations. Now, Ray, can you talk a little bit about the nations? Who are the nations that are coming? Uh, and it's... It, it's the nations that are raging against Israel. Are, are you talking about yeah, yeah, the millennium? Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. with you. So a lot of the language is talking about the national entity. It's talking about the government and the part posture of the nation as a whole, and they're going to be judged on how that how they treat Israel. Individuals can any, any individual can come to Christ, Amen. but nations can actually shift from goat to sheep nations as more and more people come to faith. So because there's corporate, please don't stop on your knees praying for the laborers to go into the harvest. Okay, so now in this battle, you've got the nations, and these nations are supportive of the Antichrist. We talked about this. There's at least the 10 nations, if not more. Okay, so that's that group that comes, and then others that are against Israel. The Antichrist is a part of this whole picture, okay? But now watch this. Who's coming to the battle on behalf and with the Lord? Well, Mark 8, 38 says, 
For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with who? With the holy angels. The angels, the ministering spirits, will be joining King Jesus as he comes back. Now in Revelation 19, one other group that's going to be joining, this is Revelation 19.14, is this. Revelation 19.14 is this, if you guys want to go there. Again, we're sounding the alarms, it's fine. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. So Jesus is coming to Armageddon. The holy angels are coming to Armageddon, right? And they're coming against the nations, okay? Right? who are the people in the armies? Who are they? Those are the resurrected and raptured believers coming back with him uh, as an army. Okay. Amen? All right, so let's just do this. <laughs> well, let's do this. Okay, here's Megiddo. Okay, we're going to get into titles. We're going to get into labels. Okay, Valley of Jehoshaphat. Uh, some people would say classified in certain parts of the area. Then you have the Valley of Decision. Then you have uh, the Valley of Judgment. You have all of these different... Remember, Joel means Yahweh judges, right? So everything about Joel is judgment is coming. Okay, so now here you have Megiddo. Okay, we know that you have the nations, right, that are against Israel, okay? Uh, coming is going to be King Jesus, and we know with King Jesus is the holy angels, and we know that it's the armies, and Ray, who's the armies again? One more time. It's uh, raptured and uh, resurrected believers. Okay, just so everybody's on the same page. So this is the process of what's coming. Now, it says in verse 12, I'm back in Joel 3, verse 12, he says, come, uh, let the nations be roused and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat, the valley of decision in Joel 3, verse 14. For there I will sit down to judge all of the surrounding nations. Don't you love this picture of the courtroom? Guilty, guilty, guilty. I mean, that's, it's all guilty. There's no hope in this battle. If you're on that side, it's too late. Is that a fair statement? Yep. Okay, so this is the picture that we're coming into. Now, I'm going to go on a, uh, on a big old timeline. And this is where I hope we can just kind of run with some things. And it's going to be a lot. This is just my little chicken scratches. You will now get a lot of a timeline here, okay? So a lot of this comes from Ray's amazing research. So remember my field goal posts? <laughs> I'm just going to start off with a couple things. You're going to see, I'm giving you a timeline up into uh, uh, Armageddon. I want to do a recap of up into Armageddon. So you're going to see the birth pains that Matthew 24 talk about. Okay, the birth pains. Ray, what are some samples of birth pains? Uh, a global pandemic. <laughs> it's famine, it's wars, it's rumors of wars. Uh, but... It, I do have to say, for me, this is the first time in my life, I think in anybody's life, we've yeah. ever seen yeah. globally a unification of everybody in the globe, and it was under a spirit of fear and panic. That's right. And this is the first time that I can say definitively we've entered the birth pain. Yeah. And, you know, look, this is not a Democratic statement or Republican statement, but when you have a president now says everybody has to get whatever, door to door, vaccinated on some of that kind of stuff. Like, those are things just to watch for. Birthing pains, okay? 
Again, that's not a political statement. That's just to number our days. All right, so you've got birthing pains. That, remember, we're going to build up to this. You also have what we would call the Antichrist Treaty. Ray, in a nutshell, what is that? It's some type of treaty with Israel. I think, for me, it's a little overplayed to think that first three and a half years are total peace. I believe it's more like the way Hitler would cut treaties. He would create the illusion of peace yeah. and then attack. Yep. So any treaty he's writing has disappearing ink. That's right. And so I just think it gets overplayed sometimes in a study to think this is a peace treaty. Yep. It's a lie to create the illusion of peace. That's right. And just as a reference for us, remember, we want to go deeper. Daniel 9, Daniel 11, uh, and even in 1 Thessalonians would reference some of this treaty language that he's going to have with some of the countries. Remember, we're just building our case very simply for what we would call uh, the seven years. Now, can I say one other thing? Sure. We know that it's, again, to dispel this idea that the world is at peace. All of this stuff is going on somewhere within this first three and a half years. It's good. Now, so it's messy. It's really messy. Now, remember, again, we're building this case just so you guys know where we're at with Armageddon, right? You have birthing pains, things to be watching for, Matthew 24. You got the Antichrist Treaty, Daniel 9, Daniel 11. Then you have just the overall word of tribulation, okay? Matthew 24, Daniel 9. I'm not teaching on this because we spent a lot of time on this, but again, I'm doing an overview. You have the tribulation as seven years, okay? Now, we also know in that process, then, Ray, Halfway through, we have what's called the abomination of desolation, which is what? That's, that's the Antichrist uh, declaring himself to be God. Okay, and so he does that within a temple. He does that within, quote-unquote, the house of God at some point. Pastor Stephen, you live and breathe in Israel. Do you ever hear of people talking about rebuilding the temple? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, there's already blueprints in place right now. Most probably, we're going to see something happen. Uh, within a temple talks, probably within the next uh, 12 to 18 months. Yeah. There's a lot to that one right there that we want to dig into, which we'll welcome you back next week. So anyway, but this is the reality. Remember, the Antichrist, who's a part of the nations, the nations are following, right? Because he subjected himself to the beast, the beast of the dragon, which is Satan himself. Like it's all, it's all a, a member, it's a, a massive empire. And in that, he's going to set up and say, hey, halfway through in three and a half years, he's going to say, hey, by the way, I'm God. All markers for us to get to Armageddon. Now, in all of this, Ray talked about this, we have what's called the Great Tribulation. Okay, now remember, the Great Tribulation is the last three and a half years. Okay, we know this, but I'm telling you guys, when you process the end times, you don't, it gets swirly. Okay, and Joel is going to set this thing up. Now, in all of this, now this is where, oh, Lord, um, Ray, <laughs> after the seven years, this is where I got to get into, okay? I, I want to go through this. Just know that this, the gospel, okay, will have been preached to the whole world. Okay? Amen? We know that by the end of seven years, the gospel will have gone to the people groups, to the nations, the Matthew 28. That's where it's going to go, okay? At the same time, uh, and, and these are side notes, and somebody's like, I need you to teach more on this. I'm giving you a reference right now, okay? That's all it is. Satan got kicked out of heaven. Ray? Yeah. Satan got kicked out of heaven. Okay? These are all things that are going to happen by the end of seven years. At the same time, 
I'm going to write it down here because it's going to get everybody all fired up. The resurrection of the dead and the rapture is going to happen. Do you like where I wrote it? I just wrote it, yes. Some of you are like, please, Lord. Some of you are like, I'm here. Some of you are here, yes. We pray like he's taking us early, but we live like we're going to be here. Okay, so the resurrection and the rapture in 1 Thessalonians, that's in this language. Okay, everybody with me? This will happen before Armageddon. This will happen, whether you're pre, a mid, or a post. This will happen before Armageddon. Okay, Ray? We can't put our trust in a rapture. We have to put our trust in Jesus. We, we live in tribulation anyway. I mean, Stephen faces tri tribulation like none of us know what it is. So he's living in it. So too many of us have the rapture and the timing of it in our uh, bullseye, and it doesn't belong there. Okay. Uh, we have to trust him, Amen. not the timing of whatever we're coming up with. Which goes back to that language of that lady at the coffee shop. Hey, what's the first thing you think about Armageddon? It's fear. It shouldn't be that at all for us. It should be hope. Why? Because the marriage of the lamb will take place. Amen. Now watch. The marriage of the lamb is where we actually, the bride, meet with Jesus. That's the wedding. But now watch. Then there's another language that's more of a Jewish culture, and it's hard for us to understand, maybe as American, but it's the wedding feast. The marriage of the Lamb, yes, but then there's a feast that comes with it, you guys. Okay? And it's not just a, hey, we got it from 7.30 to 10.30, and we got amazing food. It's a feast, and it's a duration of a time. While all this is happening, this is really gets kind of fun, is that now you're going to see what's what we would call the wrath of God. All right, in the wrath of God, okay? Let me come back to this for just a second. You have what's called six seals, okay? The seals come in Revelation, okay? Now, these first six seals, uh, you know, this is where you have the white horse language. This is where you have the red horse, the black horse, the black green horse, uh, the pale green horse. I'm not writing all this because I'm not here to get into time frames, okay? I just want to paint a picture of the six seals. Now, Ray, when the seventh seal is released, what happens? That's when God's wrath is poured out. So the first six seals uh, is Satan's wrath. Good. And then you start chapter 8. There's silence in heaven for 30 minutes, and that sends a chill down my spine yeah. because now God's wrath is being poured out. Good. Okay. That's a lot. Okay. The seventh seal. Okay. Again, time frame, if some of us are like, okay, where is this at and all that, just know that the seventh seal okay, naturally releases the seven trumpets and the seven bowls. Now, some people think they're interchangeable. Some people think it's the trumpets and then the bowls. Yes, it's fine. I'm fine with that conversation right now for where we're headed. But all of this, Ray, is right before Armageddon. Yep. Armageddon, you guys, Megiddo, in the Valley of Jezreel, okay? So, uh, Rich, we have uh, a couple slides here, if we can. Okay, so here would be, uh, Rich, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, yeah. Okay, so just a big picture. You want to describe this at all for me? Yeah, so um, in the green area, you see it says Jezreel Valley. In the upper right, you have the Sea of Galilee. Uh, 
somewhere in there you have Mount Tabor, which is the one of the sites that perhaps the uh, transfiguration took place. And then on the left you have uh, Mount Carmel. We kind of know what happened there. Uh, prophets, Baal. But then, yeah, in the middle there, the Jezreel Valley where the Battle of Armageddon will take place. So uh, let, me, let me back out here if we can, just to give you guys a, a visual here. Uh, let's talk about this one here. So if you are looking from Mount Carmel, uh, you have Nazareth over here. Uh, you have the Kishon Valley. Uh, and then basically this whole section right here, Jezreel Valley, Megiddo, Armageddon. Only one time in Scripture, in Revelation 16, Kevin, you want to go there for me? Revelation 16, 16 is actually the word uh, Armageddon mentioned. It's the whole thing about like the Antichrist. You keep looking for Antichrist. And he's only mentioned a couple of times. It's the same with Armageddon, right? But you got to have a bigger picture. Revelation 16, 16 says, so they assembled them at the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. That's this. It's an actual physical place, which historically, you guys, have had many, many battles already. This is not just a, oh yeah, let's, like this has been historically, you guys, many fights, uh, many battles have been there. Egypt, uh, well, let's just start with armies of Israel. Joshua was in that process. Egypt, and Thutmose III, Alexander the Great, you guys from Greece, wanted this land. In France, Napoleon wanted this land. Uh, many people know, and let me give you some of the, the more ones that we might know, uh, the Barak victory over the Canaanites in Judges 4. The Gideonites, you remember Gideon? Gideon over the Midianites in Judges 7. Like this language, you guys, the battle has been fought over and over and over here. This is not a new thought that we're going to have a battle here. Why? Because it's a thoroughfare, I think I'm going to say this right, uh, between Egypt and Syria. Like this is like where you're going to cross through. This is a main place. This we want this land. It's kind of like a marker. I'm going to get this land. And the nations see that and they understand that. But many people know this as best, honestly, as Solomon's. Uh, it's kind of an interesting, King Solomon in 1 Kings 9.15, you guys remember the Solomon stables? The 10,000 horses, the 4,000 chariots? Yes. So it's kind of been this land that's like, oh, that's an interesting location. This is not new to the nations or to Israel. So now, when you keep looking at this, what's going to take place? Well, you have, uh, just a reminder, it's about 65, 60 miles north of uh, Jerusalem. Probably right around here. Uh, it says in verse 13, swing the sickle. So all of the nations are coming together, correct? All of the nations are coming. And he says, swing the sickle. I'm in Joel 3, verse 13, because the harvest is ripe. Come and trample the grapes because the wine press is full. The wine vats overflow because the wickedness of the nations is great. This is a really graphic picture of death. Jeremiah 51.33. Can everybody write down that text? Jeremiah 51.33. Kevin, if you'll go there as well. It says, for this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel says, daughter Babylon is like a threshing floor. At the time it is trampled, in just a little while, her harvest time will come. Daughter Babylon, your time is up. It's an image of the nations. It's an image of God saying, enough 
is enough. The threshing floor, it's going to be trampled. And the harvest is here. Now, when I think of harvest, Kevin, when you think of harvest, what do you think of? Well, most of the time you think about the, the good stuff coming. Yeah. But in reality, your sep harvest is separating the good stuff from the bad That's stuff. right. So let's go to Matthew 13, just as a backdrop. Matthew 13, 20, 24 through 29, you have the wheat and the weeds. Okay, the wheat and the weeds. That's why the resurrection and the rapture has to take place before Armageddon. It's already been done. He's already pulling this out. So when God brings about this, this massive battle, guess what? Uh, he's going to gather the weeds, tie them up, and burn them in Matthew 13. It's a picture of what's to come. So now the part that really messes with me is in Revelation 14. Please, let's go there, 14 through 20. Joel 3 ties into Revelation 14. Remember, what's happened, at least in the American church, is when we study the end times, we go straight to Revelation, and we're like, I don't know what he's talking about. Why? Because we haven't studied the Word of God collectively. When we understand the 66 books, you're like, oh, geez, John's just talking about Joel, which we can't even find in the Old Testament. <laughs> Joel, Amos, I always have to say that. Do you guys have to? Like, whatever. Revelation 14, it says, Then I looked, and there was a white cloud, and the one like the Son of Man was seated on the cloud with a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Another angel came out of the sanctuary, crying in a loud voice to the one who was seated on the cloud, Use your sickle, so the angel is saying, right? Use your sickle and reap, for the time to reap has come, since the harvest of the earth is ripe. What that means is it's time to clean house. It's time to enter into the millennium. It's time to enter into the thousand years. So in order to do that, we got to remove the nations that hate Israel, that are against King Jesus. Let's clean house. So the one seated in Revelation 14, 16 says, the one seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. It's harvested, you guys, because the wheat and the weeds have already been set apart. And then another angel who also had a sharp sickle came out of the sanctuary uh, in heaven. And yet another angel who had authority over fire came from the altar and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle. Use your sharp sickle. Gather the clusters of grapes from earth's vineyard because its grapes have ripened. So the angel swung his sickle toward earth and gathered the grapes from earth's vineyard. He threw them into the great winepress of what? God's wrath. Do you see that language? The wrath is now being expressed. In verse 20 says, then the press that we always picture, and I know I always say this, but you remember the whole, I love Lucy, right? Pulls up her pants and she's just like stepping and it's just overflowing. Imagine the Lord doing this. And I don't know how to say this with those that are against him. This wine press was so overwhelmed with death it says, and the press was trampled outside the city. So now, where are we, Ray? You're close, to, you're close to the city. You're close to Jerusalem. Okay, so think about this, okay? Uh, the valley is here. Jerusalem is here. So Revelation 14 says now, Kevin, go back for me if you don't mind. Revelation 14, 20. It says, uh, it says the press was trampled outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press up to the horse's bridles. They estimate four to six feet for a horse to be up, Right? So on average, let's just say five feet, okay? Can you imagine blood flowing five feet tall? 
for 180 miles. I did as much studying as you can imagine mathematically. I, I tried every angle you can think of. How many are these people going to be? How and who many are, how, who's coming into this, 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 uh, this valley and then what? They're headed to Jerusalem. Does that make sense? So yes, the battle takes place here, but in a weird way, it goes here as well. And so what I want to emphasize is this. Who are these people and who's the blood? Kevin, can you go to Revelation Revelation 9, 16? Thank you. If you want to go there, that would be awesome. Thank you. Uh, so this is a thought that the number of mounted troops was 200 million. So just picture in the nations, 200 million people showing up in Armageddon, in Megiddo, the Valley of Jezreel, and then they make their way to what? To Jerusalem. So the fighting could take place on the way here. It could take place on the way out the side of the city. But can you imagine a human has an average of five liters of blood per person? So now you take 200 million people times five liters, you know, that's a lot of blood. But now throw in the horses. 52 to 53 liters of blood as well. Throw in the other animals. And now all of a sudden you got massive blood just flowing. It says in verse, uh, Joel 3, verse 14. Joel 3, verse 14. So multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Judgment is coming. The sun and the moon will grow dark and the stars will cease their shining. You will see cosmic signs. So what is the transition, which I'm just going to tell you now. There's a part three next time. We knew this was coming. I, I was hoping it wouldn't, but it's okay. Can everybody go to Zechariah 14, 1 through 4? Who would have thought Joel 3 would be so long? Zechariah 14, 1 through 4. Now watch. A day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided in your presence. I will gather all of the nations against Jerusalem for battle. And it says, the city will be captured, the houses looted, and the women raped. Half the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be removed from the city. What city are we talking about, Ray? We're talking about Jerusalem. Then, in verse 3, then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, here we go. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives which faces Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives will be split in half from east to west, forming a huge valley so that half the mountain will move to the north and half to the south. Jesus is coming back. Ray? He's coming back with a real different heart posture, uh, and he's going to meet Satan as who he's really meeting on the battlefield. Yeah. You, took your, you took your best shot. Uh, it's payback time. <laughs> it is payback time. Okay, this is how we're going to close. It's going to feel like a rabbit trail. I don't really believe it is. I'm going to trust that the Lord is, is in this. I wept last night, actually, over this. Uh, it was a modern prison uh, excavation. 
And at that time, it's no longer now, uh, according to Pastor Stephen, but at 2005, this was the earliest recording of Jesus Christ found in archaeology at a prison. Now, I, I want to read this. There's a large messianic floor, and there was a, a pair of fish that they found. And it was an inscription, and it said, to God Jesus Christ as a memorial. So it was an early church. It was an early church established in Megiddo. Now, why is this so, uh, it's, so it's, it's mind-blowing to me, because in Megiddo, Jesus had a presence then. The first time he had a presence in Megiddo. And isn't it crazy, the great I am, the Alpha and the Omega is coming back again to reclaim the land. And people got behind that effort. The battle's real. But we have nothing to fear. Because he does all the fighting. And you know, I, I'll be honest, I thought we were going to get into the millennium, but we'll, we'll do that again. That's okay. Uh, but this is a real fight. And the Muslims believe that he's coming back. They cemented the Golden Gate. The Jews, they believe he's coming back. They put their cemetery right here on the Mount of Olives, Stephen. One of the, the top two spoken subjects in, in, in amongst Muslims mm. is the coming of the Mahdi and the end times. Mm. In the Ahadith, Al-Maslakh, which is also Har Megiddo, is actually mentioned. The Maslakh means it's the slaughterhouse or the slaughter, the event of the slaughtering. So they believe in our Megiddo. So, I mean, you want to win a Muslim to Christ, you talk about the, 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 the coming of the Mahdi and link that to, to Jesus Christ and with Jerusalem being the, the 666. Uh, you, you, when you add in the, the, the longitude, the latitude of Jerusalem, it comes out to 66.6, 666. Uh, from a, go to Google Earth and put longitude, latitude of Jerusalem, and it comes out to those three numbers. So you link that with Muslims, and you talk about Al Maslakh, which is in Arabic, it's the, the slaughterhouse or the slaughter event, which is Al Megiddo. Yeah. Uh, you, you, can, uh, you can put some fear in them. And give them the hope out, which is Jesus. Yeah, they put some fear in them and now say, hey, and this is why we believe in Jesus. Man, it's an honor. Thank you for sharing. Ray, thank you for sharing. Uh, look, the blood is coming, but praise God, we have been saved and redeemed by his blood. And if you're listening for the very first time because you're intrigued about Armageddon, let me just tell you this. Look, every one of us deserves that death. Every one of us. Every one of us, except because of Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love that while we were still sinners, Christ died on the cross and he nailed the sin and death. And that is no longer our penalty. No longer our penalty. We don't have to hang in fear when we have faith in Yeshua. You and I can have eternal life. So let's not function in fear when we say the word Armageddon. We have hope in the Messiah. David, you want to come on up if you don't mind. And uh, Lord, we just say thanks for the realness of this text. This is not just some game. It's, it's a playbook for how we're supposed to get ready. And I pray that as believers, we would take this clarion call, this sounding the alarm, this wake up seriously. And that we would sense the Holy Spirit's guidance 
and walk out what you're asking of each one of us. It might mean hosting people in a house. It might mean serving food to people that we don't really want to. It might mean running into as close as we can into Gaza and saying, let us introduce you to Jesus. It might be talking to Orthodox Jews and talking about what is Joel talking about. It might be talking about to Muslims in the West Bank. God, I might be talking to our neighbors who curse us in a suburb in Dallas. Every one of us has a specific call to help get ready for the return of Christ. And I pray, Holy Spirit, in this moment, you would show us our next step. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.